And last moment on Sunday morning as I was fixing to walk out of the door to come here, uh, our son Slade, who if you don't know, he has uh, special needs and he has um, bad seizures and he had a really bad episode on Sunday morning, starting around 8.30 uh, Sunday morning. And he continued to have these episodes of seizures where he would stop breathing and his heart rate would drop into the 50s and then skyrocket into 200. Oxygen's dropping to pretty much nothing. And we feared for his life. And after hours of seizures, me having to cancel and call upon a man of God, Randall, to take my place um, last week, which I, I thank God that we have men and women who will step up when needed in this church. Amen. He got five minutes of notice last week, y'all. <laughs> and he did good. Uh, that right there is an example of being ready in season and out of season. Amen. But we were in the hospital last week, last Sunday morning, and we received a picture of our church who had came forward to pray for Slade. And the whole church was up here and it brought us to tears, to say the least. And we're very grateful for y'all. And, and God answered our prayers. And Slade is still with us. He's doing good He's today. And so it was an answered prayer. Amen. But I just wanted to, wanted to fill you in because on top of all that, throughout this week, we've, we've struggled with all kinds of things coming against my family and work and everything else. I lost my main guy that worked for me. And, and, um, there's just a lot of struggles. We went all the way down Friday afternoon to uh, Mena, Arkansas, drove four and a half hours to look for a handicapped van that we had found finally for Slade because we we just manhandle him right now and he's 100 pounds, five foot six, so it's getting a little difficult. And um, so we went all the way down there to buy this van and and uh, got to meet a wonderful family, but the van turned out to be. Uh, not what we were uh, hoping for, and it just wasn't going to suit our family and our needs of Slade. And so we had to pass on the van, and on top of that, I started getting sick Friday evening. Uh, felt horrible yesterday, and I don't feel that great this morning, so y'all bear with me through this sermon. But I wanted to tell you that because sometimes when we come to church, we got a lot of chaos going on at our home. Amen? we got a lot of chaos in our lives, and sometimes we just don't feel like praising the Lord. But that's when we make the statement, when we come, and in the midst of all that, we can praise the Lord. Amen? And we can we make a statement that the devil ain't going to win. We win. Amen? And so no matter what he throws against me, I'm not going to stop preaching. He can't keep me down for long. Amen? So if you would look at me with 1 Samuel chapter 3 and in verse 1. I'll read, and it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, for there was no widespread revelation. I want you to underline that if you would. Now, to understand where we're at in this time of history, and this is what I want you to understand while we read Old Testament, while we read God's word, is one thing, it's God's word. Okay? Another thing is, is these Old Testament examples are for us to learn from. They're not just the Bible stories you hear about and make nursery rhymes out of. This is history. This is things that took place in history. 
And you ever heard the saying that history repeats itself? So if we don't learn from the mistakes, if we don't learn from the things of history, then it will continue in that vicious cycle and we'll repeat and make the same mistakes over and over. So I hope that you will study with me and learn from this. Give you some words of warning and I'm going to give you some words of encouragement. Amen. Now in this time, I wanted you to underline this. It says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days in Israel. And there was no widespread revelation. The word revelation actually means an unveiling. Now, they had the tabernacle. Okay? They had the sacrifices. They had the feast. They had all of the services in place where God's people would come together to worship the Lord and offer all these sacrifices and do all of the ceremonies that they were commanded to do. They had the first four or five books of the Bible. Okay? They had the law. But it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. They had come to a place in history in the nation of Israel where... Now, remember, Israel had seen all of these great moves of God. Okay? But they had come to a place in history where they weren't really seeing God anymore. I mean, they had the services. They had all of the ceremonies. They had all of these things. But to really see a widespread move of God, it was rare to say the least. And why do I underline this? Because I believe that this applies to Christianity or to the church in the United States of America. We live in a nation. Once founded by biblical principles, morals, right? God's word, God's law. People stood for truth. We saw great moves of God. Millions and millions of people of the United States of America have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen God move even in our own lives. But sadly, we have come to a place in history as a whole, as a church of the United States of America, where, yes, we have churches on every corner, especially in the South. Every Sunday mornings, there are sermons happening, right? Every Wednesday night, somebody's studying their Bible. They have Bible studies. We have the music. We have everything in place. People are serving. People are sacrificing. They're giving. They're doing all this. But to see a widespread move of God in the United States of America, it has become rare. That's why when you see things break out, like these revivals and stuff where it gives us a glimpse of hope, we all go crazy about it, right? Because it's a rare thing in the United States of America to see this. Because that's the time that we live in and that's what they were facing there. See how history repeats itself and how God's word is applicable for us today. That's the time that this young man named Samuel... Who would become a prophet of God. He was a mighty man of God. We're going to learn about Samuel today. Remember Samuel is the one who was the spiritual advisor of Israel. And King David. He anointed King David. This is that Samuel. A mighty man of God who God used greatly. And we're going to learn about him today. But this was the time in history that he grew up. When everyone else around him was growing up a little bit different than him. Every, the time that he lived in was a dark and, and it was a sad time in history because people didn't see God move. They went through the ceremonies, but they were not in close relationship and fellowship and hearing and seeing God move. 
Sadly, we've reached that point in the United States of America. And so I want, I want to give you some words of warning and, and the reasoning behind why they got to this place. Now, number one, one of the reasons why the nation of Israel had gotten to this dark place and why God had, was not moving is, is because God, people have free will. God's not going to force you to come and worship Him and to follow His ways. A lot of times in Scripture, you'll read in history when, when people, God's people especially, when they want to reject God and they want to live the ways of the world and they want to do the things that the rest of the world do, does, God just simply steps out. He starts to be quiet. He starts to back away and He says, fine, I'll give you over to what you want. If that's what you want. And then we reap the consequences of our sin. And the consequences of our actions. See Christians. You know yes we're born again. We have the spirit of God indwelling in us. And we have power over sin. But you still have that choice to sin in your life. Now I would say that if you are a born again believer. You won't have that desire anymore to sin. But our flesh still battles with our spirit. We have that temptation. We face all of the things that we had once faced. We just now have power to overcome it. But sadly, a lot of times we face consequences or reap the consequences of the choices and the actions and sins that we commit, even as Christian people. And so sometimes when you don't obey God's word, he gave us his instructions. He tells us how we should live. And when we choose to go against that, he simply backs out and says, here, I'll hand you over and see where that gets you. Right? See, sometimes you think about that in your relationship with your kid, especially if you're here and you're a parent. Sometimes you whoop the dog out of them. But when that seems like that doesn't work, sometimes you say, okay, I'll let you make the mistakes. And when they do and then they reap the the consequences of it and they see there's no benefit in it, then on their own, They have to come back to a place of repentance and admit it. Oh, I was wrong in that. And I need you to help me. Amen? That's how we need to do with the Lord. i got to get something to drink. Now, one of the reasons why I believe in history, why they had come to this place, not seeing God move in the nation of Israel. Remember, this is God's people. Okay? So you can relate that to us today because we're the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're God's people now. Now, one of the reasons why I believe God wasn't moving was simply because of the way the people, God's people lived and interact with unbelievers and how they involved themselves in all of the things of the world. And so God simply stepped out. But then also, I want you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, or if they have the scripture, they may pull it up. But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12, it says that the sons of Eli were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. Now, Eli was the high priest at this time. Eli was the spiritual leader of Israel. He made all the sacrifices for the nation of Israel. He was the high priest in the tabernacle at that time because the temple wasn't there. Now, The spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, the spiritual leader of God's people had failed. Now, he had failed in what? Not that he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Because if you'll read in scripture that he was a decent man on his own. Right? He did some pretty good things. But he had failed to raise up godly children. 
Now, this is, this is what I want you to understand because Adrian Rogers once said that we are only one generation away from total ungodliness in the nation of the United States of America. That means it's up to you and me as parents to raise up the next generation who will follow the Lord. Now, Eli followed the Lord. He was the spiritual leader of Israel, but he failed when it became apparent. When he failed when it was to his opportunity and his responsibility to raise up his sons after the Lord. Now, you ask the question, well, I mean, how come this man who served in the tabernacle, he lived a godly life, yet his children didn't follow in his footsteps? And so you see that in the United States of America today, in the Christian church today. If you read statistics, our children are falling away by the wayside. I mean, every year it seems to be worse and worse that you had godly parents, right? But their children are not following after the Lord at all. Or if they do, it's way later in life, right? So they fall away. And so you ask, what is happening? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, I'll read that. It says, God sent a man to warn Eli that he's fixing to judge him. And in verse 29 it says, Why do you kick at my sacrifices and my offerings which I have commanded in my dwelling place? Now underline this in your Bible if you don't mind doing it. And honor your sons more than me. Eli... The spiritual leader of Israel, the man of God, honored, God said, that he honored his children more than he did the Lord. You see where he failed there? Now, how does that apply to us today? Well, think about how we involve our children. We want so many things for our children that we didn't have. We want to give them a better life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we began as Christian people to put our children's feelings, our children's desires, our children's hobbies, our children's all of these things that they involve, we involve them in above the service of the Lord, we are honoring our children more than the Lord. I don't want to get anybody hacked off at me, and if you do, take it up with the Lord, but... When we involve ourselves and spend more time in sports, education, or whatever it is, hunting, whatever that it is, nothing wrong with them things in general, but when we put them above the service of the Lord, we have honored our children more than we have honored the word of the Lord. You could apply this to discipline. So many kids are running rampant, acting up, no respect, and they grow up into that and they don't respect authority. They don't respect law. And we have God's word that says, you, you know, redneck terminology, if you beat them with a rod, you can, get, you can get that out of them. Right? Right? That's what it says. Some people need to whip their kids. Right? But we, oh, we want them to be our friend. We don't want to hurt their feelings. They're just a little, they're just little boys. Boys will be boys and all of these things and excuses. And we've honored our children more than the Lord. And that's maybe what Eli had did. 
you know. Or I think maybe the sad tragedy of ministry is that you've always heard the saying that the preacher's kids are the worst kids, right? <laughs> and and sadly, it's because many times pastors and, and, and teachers and evangelists and all these people who are serving the Lord, they get so caught up in their position, so caught up in other people's families and everything that they have overlooked their own problems and their own families and the, and the needs of their children. And they simply just care more about God's house, you know, other people, their position than they do their own family. You know, this is why First Timothy said if a man's going to be a pastor, right, he needs to make sure that he's got his family in order first. Because that's your first ministry. You know, and that's one thing that I admire. People gave Randall... Our pastor, a lot of slack because he wasn't at everybody's football games and all of these things and supporting all. But Randall spent time with his family. And that's what I admire about him because he raised up godly children. Amen. In the midst of all the chaos that we give him. Okay. And maybe that's what took place. But no matter what happened, it was, it was a failure on God's people's part for not raising up the next generation. That's our responsibility. That's that's a word, a warning that I want to give you. If you have children today, it is your responsibility. It's not the church's, not anybody else's. It is your responsibility to make sure that they know the Lord and to follow after them and make sure that you raise them with, with a kingdom mindset. Amen? And then another way or another reason why I believe that they were at this place in time of history is because it was corruption in God's house. Now, I understand that we're the temple of the Lord. And this building isn't God's house anymore. We are. This is where he dwells. But this is a place where God's people come together to worship him. Okay? And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, it says that Eli's sons' sin were great. And men hated or abhorred the offering of the Lord. I want you to think about this for a second. This is what was going on. Eli, the high priest, okay, with the culture that happened back, going on back then, and with tradition and the lineages, his sons would naturally become priests, and they would have position in the church. Daddy is a pastor. Right? This is how we apply it. Daddy's a pastor. He's raising up two boys, and they're going to be part of the church somewhere. And these boys were wicked. They didn't even know the Lord. They were ungodly. They had no personal relationship. Sure, they went to church. They heard all the Bible stories. Daddy taught them and all that. But they had no relationship with the Lord. Here's another word of warning for you. Just because you bring your kids to church doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Just because we send them off to youth camp and all of these things doesn't mean they have a personal relationship with the Lord. So don't just think, oh, little Johnny, he's going to be saved and he's, he's everything's good because we bring him to church. Back to you, parent. Make sure that your kids know the Lord. You know, especially when we, I believe we have an advantage. A lot of people call, you know, special needs a disability or a disadvantage. But I think it's an advantage because you realize and it puts a new perspective on how how much, how fragile life is and how much you should cherish the, the little bit of time you get with your, chi- 
with your children. We only have a short while, and and I, I just look at this, and I'm like, man, these kids, these kids grew up in the church, right? They grew up in the tabernacle, and, and they didn't even know the Lord. And so, naturally, they're going to act the way ungodly people act. And if you'll read, and we don't have for all the time for time's sake, but if you'll read the first two chapters of First Samuel, you'll realize that they were taking advantage of all of the people who were coming and giving the sacrifices. So it's basically like today, if people were tithing, right, these these dudes were putting it in their pocket, right? They might have gave some of it to the Lord, but then they were putting fat in their own pocket, right? It says they were having a barbecue out of the sacrifice meat. They were taking advantage of people. It actually says later, and I'll keep it PG because your kids are in here, but there was all kinds of sexual immorality going on in the church. These boys were sleeping with women and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. That's that's what was happening in God's house. And you wonder why God wasn't moving. But I mean, sadly, if you look around, we've seen all these people who we once looked up to, TV preachers and all of these things where millions of people follow them and then, boom, something happens and this big scandal comes out. They're taking advantage of all these women or they're taking advantage of all this stuff. They've got millions upon millions of dollars in the bank and yachts and private jets while their own families are starving to death. Nothing wrong with money, but, you know, if you're sitting here on millions of dollars and you're just watching your own family members suffer, something's wrong with that. And that's the place of history that they were in. And not only that, I believe this was a failure on the rest of God's people because they just allowed it to happen. And I think, why would they allow ungodly people to have positions in the church or, or the tabernacle at that time while they sat on the wayside and just watch it happen because it says they didn't even want to go anymore. Because they saw all the stuff that was going on. They knew that they were taking advantage of them. And so they're like, we hate going to church. That's where they're at. We don't even want to go because why? It's a bunch of hypocrites. We see the way they live and all. They want your money. They want this and that. And that's what was actually happening. Now, not everybody was that way. But the majority. And I think, why would they allow this to happen? Maybe it's because they didn't want to step up and take responsibility. You know, because if, if they did something about it and they actually, you know, executed church discipline on these people, then, or told them, hey, we don't want you here serving because you need to get your life right with the Lord first, then it would cause them to have to step up into that position and have the responsibility. And sadly, that's why the churches are in the shape that they are in today because people just simply don't want the responsibility. So they let whoever and whatever serve, Y'all go right ahead because we ain't going to do it. And that was a failure on their part. And so the warning was, God said, okay, I'm, this is what you want. I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to move anymore. Now, everybody's got real long faces right now. I'm thinking, man, no wonder, the, no wonder he was been hindered from coming in here. Maybe it wasn't the devil, it was the Lord. <laughs> But there is hope in it. And I want to give you that. You know, it seems like in whenever you read these stories of history of the Old Testament, whenever 
darkness was surrounding the nation and it seems like God people were just going totally the opposite direction that God wanted them to go. God raises up another man. God raises up a child of God who's going to change that direction, who's going to give the nation hope and going to bring them back to God. There's always a remnant there, and I believe that that still exists in the church today. I've seen it. I've seen every one of you and the sacrifices you made just just this past week with VBS and all the things that you do that maybe other people don't see. God sees it, and I believe that he's training and he's raising them people up, the Samuels who will who will change the nation in the course of the direction that we're going back to God. Amen? Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Now there's just something you need to know about Samuel. Samuel's mother was barren. She couldn't have kids. And that was really looked down upon in that time. Their family wasn't perfect by any means because uh, his dad had two wives, right? But Samuel's mother begged God. She, she wanted a child. She begged God for this boy. She prayed over and over. She would go to the tabernacle and she would pray. Now, she would eventually, and along with the help of the high priest and, and everyone who was involved in Samuel's life, she would eventually raise up this godly young man who would bring light back into the darkness. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because I love how this puts us in Scripture. Now the boy, Samuel. Samuel was just a boy. Samuel was different than everyone else. Remember, he's raised in the tabernacle too, and his influences was Eli's sons. But he was different than all of them, right? He was a young boy. Most scholars say he was 12 to 15 years old at this time. And and he followed after the Lord. He's fixing to have a personal relationship with the Lord. God's going to call him to a higher purpose, and he'll become a prophet of God. He's going to hear God's voice. At a young age. This, I want you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, or if they have the scripture, they can pull it up or write it down. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 18 says, Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. So he followed Jesus as a, as a young boy, as a baby. This, this should be the desire of every Christian parent is to raise a kid like this. A child, uh, um, you know, many of us sadly are, and praise God, we got the second chances. But a lot of us, we we didn't follow the Lord till later in life. And me and my wife were both in our well in our twenties before we actually started following the Lord and had a personal relationship. And and I thank God for the hope and and the second chances and that He gives us. But our desire as parents now is to raise up children who will follow the Lord from a young age. Well, that's that's what we want. We don't, we, yeah, we want to have success and we want to see them married and we want to see all these wonderful things, but ultimately we just want to see our children following the Lord and serving the Lord at a young age. And that's why we involve them in the work of the Lord. We, we don't want them to make the same mistakes we did, right? And and that's the way Samuel was. He followed after the Lord from the young age. And, 
And and yes, if you've missed that age, God God can still greatly use you. But what an advantage they got when they're following the Lord from a young age, right? They do everything right as far as they're going to make mistakes. But man, if you would just do things, you know, the way the Lord commands you to do as a young child, you got a great advantage over some of us who were hellions. Amen. Now, I believe that there's some lessons in what took place here in the raising of Samuel that we can apply today if we want to raise godly children. If we want our children to fall off the Lord from a young age. Remember, some of the warnings already happened. Right? That's what I gave you first. But here's some lessons and some things that we can do to help. Now, I'm not saying... It's going to be 100% because everyone has free will. And sometimes you do your best as parents. But your children sometimes turn out a little bit crazy, right? Sometimes they get mama's genetics and they just didn't listen to you. But, you know, the Bible does say if you train up a child in the way he should go, in the end, he, you know, he shall not depart from it. So that's our hope sometimes when they get... Anyway, y'all get that later. But I want you to look in in chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. Now, I want to tell you a little quick what happened here. Just for some of you who don't know. Samuel's mother couldn't have kids. It was really looked down upon in in them days. And she went to the tabernacle. She prayed. She prayed. She weeped. And God heard her prayer. God granted her wish and gave her Samuel. Beautiful, young, healthy baby boy. Can you imagine? I, I'm, I love children, but they say there's something even greater when, when you birth your own child when you're a woman. There's just something special about that. And Can you imagine the joy, especially if you couldn't have children most of your life, and finally God answers your prayer, and he's granted you this beautiful, young baby, healthy boy. And I, can you imagine the joy and how that mother would have cherished him and realized Psalms 127.3, how it says children are indeed an heritage from the Lord and a, a reward. And that's the first lesson that we can learn from his mother is that she knew that her children were answered prayers. Her children were a reward. Her children are a heritage. They are a blessing. They're not a burden. Children are a blessing. If you've had children... Listen, I mean, you need to realize the, the great blessing that God has given you because there's a lot of people who can't. There's a lot of people who, or if they do, they're not true parents to their kids. They, they look at them as, well, they've hindered my life and now I can't fulfill my purpose and, and I can't go and do the things that I want to do anymore. And that's just not simply not the truth. Listen, I never really truly lived until I had kids, right? I love my children and we should, we should count them as a blessing. But in verse 27, it says, For this child, this is Hannah, his mother, For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I have asked. Now, the second thing, that example, is that she prayed. She prayed for and over her children. Now, I know that all of us would probably say, Yeah, we, we pray for our kids, but I mean, we need to be praying for our kids. We need to be praying for their salvation. We need to be praying over them. We need to be praying for them. 
for them to, for them to hear the voice of the Lord because Samuel had to have been prepared to hear the voice of the Lord from the young age. See, his mother's the one who instilled that up in him and had to have trained him and taught him for the first few years because she was going to only have him for a short amount of time. Now, she would eventually go and, and around three or four years old and, and allow him, set him up to be in God's presence and in God's house. But she didn't abandon him. She went back every year. She checked on him. She brought him robes. She did all of these things. And we may not go to that extreme, but we only are going to have our children for a short while. I mean, my prayer is that, that they live a long and fulfilled life and that we have them, you know, in our lives, but we can influence them while they're at home the best that we can for 18 or so short years. Or if you have some of the things happen that we have had, you realize that, man, I may not have them that long. We never know when when tragedy could happen in, in any of our lives. And so we need to cherish them times when we need to be praying for our children, that they'll follow the Lord. We need to be training them. That's what she was doing. <clears throat> and third thing is that we need to prioritize relationships or a relationship over our own goals and ambitions. I want you to think about that. Can you imagine having a child? You couldn't have a child your whole life. You have a young boy or or girl. You've got all of these expectations, all of these dreams. Man, Lane said, you know, when Slade, before Slade was born, she was pregnant with Slade. She, you know, Lane was all into sports and all of that stuff and, you know, she had, man, I bet he's going to play football and I'm going to be the football mom and I'm going to have that kind of vehicle. And, you know, you just have these dreams for your kids. They're going to, man, they're going to turn out just like me. They're going to be my little hunting buddy, you know, and all of that. And then, boom, God has different plans. But Samuel's mother understood and trusted the Lord so much that she knew she had to pro- her number one priority in Samuel's life wasn't for him to live out her goals and ambitions and the dreams that she had for him. It was that he would have a relationship with the Lord. See, she didn't prioritize education. Nothing wrong with it. She didn't prioritize her goals and ambitions and success and money and 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 social. You know, uh, what what's the word? people say about homeschool kids well they're going to be socially awkward or whatever you know they didn't prioritize having them all around these people so they won't be socially awkward they prioritized that they had a relationship with jesus first and then all of these things could follow in matthew 6 33 jesus said seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and then all these things should be added upon upon to you i want you to understand that and I think that's that's sad because I've had opportunity in many churches. I won't name any specific, but many churches to teach the youth. And a lot of times, one of the first lessons I go or go into is I'll get a chalkboard and I'll ask these young people who's been raised in the church by godly parents. I'll tell them, say, okay, a lot of y'all are about to be out on your own. You're teenagers You're not going to have your parents telling you what to do anymore. And you're about to go out and live your dreams. I want you all to tell me what your plans are. 
As soon as you get out of school, as soon as you get out of your parents' house, what's your plans? And you know, I have had one kid out of all of these times I've done this that actually put the Lord first. And all of the rest of them were, well, we're going to go get this certain job or we're going to go to this certain college and I'm hoping I play football for this many years and I do these and I do that and I'm going to have money and I'm going to have success and I want this car and I want this house and I want this. These are godly kids, good kids. But they list all of these things and they fail to list anything for the Lord. And when I say, okay, well, them are good things, but which one of you are the next pastor of the church? And they got a blank stare on their face. We didn't think about that. Which one of you are going to be the, the moms who have their children and cherish their children and raise them up to be the next generation to follow the Lord or the dads to do that? Take responsibility of your family and work hard and do all Which one are you going to do that? Which one of you are going to be the missionaries? Which one? uh, Well, are you all going to do anything for the Lord? And you know what the reply is? Well, yeah, of course. Once we get all of this stuff first done, and when I'm in my 30s or 40s, maybe 50s, then I'll serve the Lord. And and, And they're getting that from somewhere. Maybe because we prioritize that over relationship with Jesus, right? And we, we, we have no problem teaching them all them things and, and instilling all them things at a young age, but yet we fail, we like Eli, and we fail to train our children up to follow the Lord. We need to prioritize. Number four is we need a higher dedication. You know, in in this verse here in chapter twenty chapter one, verse twenty seven, it says, For this child I've prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I have asked of him. And verse twenty eight says, Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord, as long as he shall live to be lent to the Lord. Now, the original wording there is basically I'm giving him back to the Lord. Because she understood he didn't belong to her. He belonged to the Lord, and the Lord loaned him to us. He, he, you've only got a little while with your kids, but he belongs. they belong to the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this. She made this vow. All right, Lord, if you will give me a child, I promise, I vow that I'm going to give him back. I'm going to train him up, right? I'm going to train him up for you. I'm going to, I'm going to have him following after you. I'm going to do the best I can with him. I'm going to give him back to you, and he's going to serve you in the tabernacle, and he's going to be this mighty man of God. Here's what you miss about the story. All male children of that time of the nation of Israel would have already been dedicated back to the Lord. That was not nothing out of the ordinary. They would have done that. Not only that, his dad was from the lineage or the line of Levi, which means his kids would have become priests. So he would have already been dedicated as a priest And here's what's crazy. From the age of around 30 to 50 years old, he would start serving as a priest. But what she was saying here is she said, I'm going to go above and beyond the norm. I'm going to serve you and I'm going to give him back to you from the day that he's born all the way till I turn him over and you take control of him. Every day of his life. She said, you'll go back and read in chapter 1, she said, the Nazarite vow that 
He's going to live completely set apart for you. He's going to look different. He's going to dress different. He's going to act different. Why? Because that's the way we're going to raise him. Because he's going to see how we live. We're not going to force him to do these things. He's going to want to do them because he's going to see the hope and the lifestyle that we live is drastically different than the rest of this world. And that's what we need to do as Christian parents. See, if we're walking around acting defeated all the time, why would the kids want to grow up like us? If we're walking around looking like the rest of the world, why would they think that Christianity is any different than any other religion out there? If they don't see the relationship and the changes that God makes in our lives, why would they desire it? Number five is, I want you to look right here, and I'll finish in it with this. Verse 28, I've loaned him back to the Lord. I give him back to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Now she's fixing to turn her son over. And he's going to no longer live with her. She's got to trust the Lord. His plans, his ways, his thoughts are greater and higher than hers. And that nothing she could have ever done would be compare anything to what the Lord has for him. And it says, before all of this happened, before she's seen God's will take shape in his life, before he became actually a prophet of God and God used him greatly, she worshiped the Lord there, even in the midst of having to give him up. She, you think she felt like worshiping the Lord? I mean, that's, that's the point. All chaos was breaking loose in her household, right? Wasn't a perfect family by no means. And she's just finally got this answered prayer. Now she's going to have to give it over to the Lord. He's taking back the answered prayer. You think she feels like worshiping the Lord at this time, but she does it, chooses to do it anyway. She worships during the trials. She worships even though she's not seeing God's will. She worships no matter what, because she sees and knows that she has a little boy there that's going to see that. And no matter what comes against him, what trial comes against him, what hell comes against him, he's going to be able to stand and worship before the Lord. Even when he's not seeing God's will in his life. Because sometimes God allows us to things to happen to us and all that to strengthen us and to prepare us for something greater. And that's what was happening there. You know, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord when he don't answer my prayers to heal Slade. I don't feel like worshiping the Lord when I wake up sick as a dog and drove nine hours and spent $500 to look at a van that didn't work out that we prayed for. And I go, about, what is the purpose of that? Why won't you answer our prayers? Why would our worship team and all these people come forward and they pray and you're not answering our prayers and then we don't see that happening Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe it's something with your kids. Maybe you've got a child that that has rebelled from the Lord and you've prayed over and over and over and God's not answering that prayer. Yeah, that's a reason that Satan uses for to try to stop you from worshiping the Lord. And you, you have that reason. You don't feel like it. See, a lot of times we only, we let our circumstances and our emotions control our worship. But she didn't do that. She said, I, it doesn't matter what comes at me, I'm, I'm choosing to worship the Lord. And that's the example we need to set as Christian parents if we're going to raise 
kids who are going to follow after that same our footsteps. We need to start living that way. And in closing, I want to speak to you kids. This may be another message one day, but God raises up the Samuels, and he's looking for that today. Samuel was set apart. He was different than everyone else. From a very young age, he didn't have a perfect family. He didn't have perfect examples. He didn't have a perfect environment. He grew up in a very dark time. But God was looking for someone like him who would stand apart from the rest of the crowd. Someone who would take take a stand on the truth of his word. And you know, if you'll read that chapter 3, Samuel would go on and he would have to have some very difficult conversations with Eli and his family and all of these people about the things that they were, going, they were doing wrong and that God was going to judge them. God was preparing him and training him for that his entire life. And this would change the course of history and the direction that the nation of Israel was headed. Our nation is headed for a very dark and desperate time if we don't have and raise up the Samuels today. Amen? So would you answer that call as parents and would you answer that call as young children to be set apart, be different, and listen for the calling upon the Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. I just pray that you be with us, Lord. Help us to um, cherish the moments that we have with our children, Lord. Don't waste time that we would raise up godly children who would answer that call, that they would have a relationship with you, Lord. I pray that you change our hearts and our desires to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.